Morning, Rio. Oh, man, he sounded like a class. It's all in lockstep. Happy New Year. All right. Anybody have nicknames for your new year? Is this the year of new release for anybody or anything like that? I had um, on Friday, my brother Charlie Halloran told me, came up to me and said, uh, Happy New Year. And he said, this is the year of hindsight. Anybody get it? All right, good. 2020, hindsight is? 2020, oh man, some of y'all are slow. (laughs) But I like that. This is the year of hindsight. And and hindsight is good because you can go back in events in history and have greater insight, understanding of the events after it happened. And today we want to use that power of hindsight to reflect on a narrative in history. It's another telling of the story of Christmas. You might be saying, but wait, are we still in the Christmas season? Well, we're, we're actually on the 11th day of Christmas. Uh, in the church's liturgical calendar during this Advent season, uh, there are 12 days between, uh, uh, well, today, well, I should say tomorrow, uh, the 6th of January is called Epiphany. Okay. And epiphany is, uh, comes from a Greek word that means appearance or manifestation. And what is celebrated during, on, on epiphany is the manifestation or the revelation of Jesus to the Gentiles, right? To those who were not Jews like Jesus and his family were. And, and the first non-Jews that were recorded as meeting Jesus are the wise men that we sing about in the Christmas song or what has become a Christmas song called We Three Kings. They were Gentiles. And and Jesus is revealed to them, and, and, and that's Epiphany. And the time between Christmas and Epiphany um, are, are what have been come to be known as the 12 days of Christmas. And that's apparently when your true love gives to you everything from 12 lords of leaping to a part in a... All right, good, good. All right, y'all are awake now, good. So with hindsight, we want to look at the story of Jesus's birth in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and also verse 16. And we're going to see that this account tells a story from the perspective of three different kinds of people and how these people react or respond to the revelation that Jesus uh, the Christ, or, or Christ means the anointed one. It's, it's the man of God who was also truly God indeed. How do they react to the revelation that Jesus Christ is born? Which may be for some an astounding thing to believe that God would become a human being and that he would be born to a young woman who never had intimate relations with a man. She was a virgin. To some here, uh, it, it's just a warm, wonderful story that warms the heart, kind of prepares you uh, and puts you in a good mood for the Christmas season and the food and uh, the family and the shopping. And for some, we know the story all too well. We've, we've heard it before. And uh, we love it when the seasons comes, but we're also happy when we can move on and talk about some more interesting and relevant things uh, uh, in the word of God. But as we look today at this narrative in Matthew 2, 1 through 12 and verse 16, 
I want you to wrestle with me on this question. What is my response to Jesus? So let's read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 and verse 16. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go uh, and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them and until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years older under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. It's another telling of the story of Christmas. And there are perspectives from at least three categories of persons that we're going to look at in Matthew's narrative here. There is the perspective of Herod, who is the king. And there is a perspective of the people. Matthew describes all Jerusalem represented by the chief priests and the scribes. And there's a perspective of the wise men, visitors from the east who are about 800 miles away. And these wise men, when they arrived at the home of Joseph and Mary, they, they met not an infant, but a child who was probably around two years old. And they knew that this human being was the one on whose life history would turn. And today, of course, we can, we can look in hindsight. We can agree that there's no denying the impact that Jesus had. Life of Jesus has forever impacted the history of art and music and literature and governments and politics and social norms or moral codes. Life of Jesus impacts just about every institution we know in our culture. But that day, all they saw was a two-year-old child. And there's a response they had when they encountered Jesus as this two-year-old child. They worshiped, not because he was a, a cute child, but because he was a king. And others really didn't have the same response to Jesus, cute child or not. And that's what we learned from this history that 
Matthew records about the birth and early life of Jesus. God wants us to know through Matthew's record that the first advent of Jesus, his first coming, was not met only with rejoicing and faith. His first coming was also met with fear and with presumption by people who had become all too familiar with what God had to say about the coming of the anointed one. Responsive people when Jesus is revealed shows that although Jesus is sent to save the world, it's only those who humbly approach him as their king who will benefit from him as their shepherd and as their savior. And so there's three responses that we see in this Christmas story. There's a response of fear. There is a response of faith. And there's a response of familiarity. And to start, let's look at the, re, the reaction of the first character beside Jesus who is mentioned in this story. And it's Herod. He's known as Herod the Great. He's a man who was uh, appointed as king over Israel by Caesar Augustus, who was a Roman emperor. And Herod was a half-Jew, half-Idomenian. Uh, he was a descendant of Esau, who, if you remember, was, was uh, uh, Father Abraham's grandson. And he was Jacob's brother. And Jacob became Israel. And Israel is who the country is named after, who the people are named after. And so even though Herod wasn't really a Jew, he had risen to power because he was a, a great builder of, of public works. And he was a shrewd diplomat in dealing with relations between the Jews and Rome. And to support all of these building projects, he squeezed taxes and labor out of Israel for Rome. And when they were almost starved to death because of the taxation, he, he manipulated to them, them into being grateful to him because he then provided food for them. And he was desperate to hold on to power and he became more and more paranoid as he got older about threats against him. And so he ended up murdering his wife and murdering his sons and his mother-in-law and other members of his family. It's the kind of man that Herod was. And when the wise men came from the east, they, they navigated to the place where they had seen the star rise above Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, where the kings would normally live. And they went there supposing that if a new king had been born, that he would be there in the capital city. So they go around asking people, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw it's his star when it rose and we've come to worship him can only imagine the sight that that must have been in the capital city. Everybody talking about this caravan of camels and these royal dignitaries from a strange land, strange colors, strange smells, strange language, strange culture. And when they get asked, they say, King of the Jews? Isn't that Herod? So all of Jerusalem becomes concerned. Because they know Herod. And if there's a rival king, even if it's the Messiah, there's going to be trouble. And so they are troubled. Because they may not like Herod's rule, but at least they understand him. And they're distracted by the relative comfort 
that they have under his reign. And so even the presence of these foreign dignitaries looking for their Messiah doesn't sway them. This can be us at times in our lives, can't it? We can be held captive to things we claim we really want to be liberated from because we're not aware of the Savior who is right in our presence. We we can become so uh, addicted to things that we claim we want to be set free from because our addictions seem to fill our needs more than the pursuit of the Savior will. And this was Jerusalem. So instead of being set free to worship Jesus, they are troubled. And word gets back to Herod. And and so Herod sends and he calls for these strangers to come to the palace. But before he, he they get there, he calls the chief priests and the scribes. And they're experts in the law and the prophets and the writings. They're experts in these Old Testament scriptures. They're the top academics of the time. And he asks them, He asks them where the prophets say that the Messiah is supposed to be born. And they tell him in Bethlehem. And so he asks the wise men when they get there about the timeline regarding the star. So so he can find out how old Jesus should be by now. And so they give him all of their astrological evidence uh, based on their research. You know, surprising thing, Herod realizes that, man, this really sounds like the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. All the evidence is there. This is really happening. And Herod, who claimed to love Jewish culture, to serve the Jewish God, he built a temple supposedly in anticipation of the Messiah. Herod was troubled. He was greatly agitated. He was terrified. He was in dismay and anguish, in confusion. He was furious because he was fearful. His response to Jesus is fear. His throne is being threatened. His livelihood is being threatened. His leadership is being threatened. Is there going to be an insurgency? Is there going to be an attempted coup? Is he going to have to relinquish his seat of control on the throne of his own life? And so he told the wise men this. He said, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. But you know, it wasn't his intent to go and worship Jesus. We know that because the wise men were warned by an angel not to go back to Herod. And they left town without seeing him. And so in verse 16, Herod, driven by fear and rage, he sends his soldiers into the narrow cobblestone streets of Bethlehem and they burst through door after door taking children two years old and under killing them just so Herod could protect his throne this is unusually cruel sickening to think about disturbing on so many levels But this, my brothers and sisters, is part of the Christmas story because what we celebrate on Christmas is the birth of a king. And the reality of his birth means that every power on earth must bow and worship him because he's not just any king. This baby born in the most humble way, in the most humble town, in a seemingly insignificant country to a couple who should have been filled with shame because of the circumstances of his birth. This baby is the king of every king who has ever lived and who will ever live. 
And he can't share his throne. Not with Herod and not with us. Craig Barnes said this, in every life there is a Herod that has gained some power over you. You are seduced into calling it great because it does things for you. It helps you feel secure, helps you cope. It's been around for a long time. Herod is the name of whatever it is that offers you something you crave at a cost you cannot afford. You love what it does, but you hate what it costs. But as taxing as it is, you just keep paying. And so I've got to ask myself, what is that Herod in my life? What is that Herod in your life? Maybe it's the status that your job affords you, but it overrides your ability to spiritually lead and serve your family. Or maybe it's an addiction that you're silently and and secretly battling on your own and you're resisting getting help because your body is telling you that your addiction costs, that, that losing your addiction would cost you more than what your addiction is actually paying you. Or at the beginning of this new year when we resolve to do things differently and we resolve to do things better, do we consult the King of Kings? Or do we just make plans as if we're truly the captain of our own ships? Maybe you're convinced that the better way is that you just take control of your entire life. Because you're fearful of what it might mean, what it might look like if Jesus took the throne as king in your life. But I want you to know that what Jesus will do is redeem your life. Because he became a human being, that same child grew up and he lived a normal life for the better part of 30 years. And he completely understands the challenges of life, the, the frustrations of living in a broken world. He, he, he certainly understands uh, the joys of living out his purpose, but he also understands the hurt that comes from rejection by people who claim to love him. And he lived fully dependent on his father so that by his life and by his death, your very identity could change from a person trying to sit on the throne of your own life to someone who has been adopted as a son or daughter of God and who would truly have an inheritance for eternity. So don't fear. But ask God to grant you faith faith. Because in contrast to Herod's response of fear, we have a response of faith by these wise men from the East. The original language of the Bible identifies these wise men as the Magi, um, or, or uh, th- that's the plural of Magus. And, and these Magi were magicians or seers who served in the royal family, in the royal court in Babylon, in ancient Persia, or modern-day Iraq or Iran. And if you recall the story of Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel was an exile in Babylon and he was from Judah and he, along with many of the best and the brightest uh, from Jerusalem and Judah were brought to Babylon after Babylon captured Jerusalem under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. And as Daniel was there in Babylon, God revealed the king's dream to him and its interpretation And the king was so pleased that he made Daniel a member of the king's court and Daniel joined the order of the Magi as their leader. 
And hundreds of years later, the Magi that came to see Jesus were most likely the scholars of their culture. They were uh, most likely wealthy. They were astronomers studying the night sky. And they were philosophers studying ancient texts for meaning. And they were studying the stars because the stars in the night sky reflected the reality of what God was doing in the world. Uh, Pastor Sam Kasten-Smith recently taught a lesson on one of our uh, Wednesday spiritual formation nights titled The Skies of the Magi. And it's looking at scripture and uh, history and even astrological calendars from NASA uh, as he explained something called a triple conjunction uh, that could have been what the Magi saw as the star that rose above Jerusalem, and that caused them to travel to Jerusalem looking for a king who had been born. And it's, it's fascinating stuff, and I would encourage you to uh, uh, maybe get on our website, or you can look at it in the app. Just go to the video section there. But even though these, these kings were, these, these magi, I'm sorry, were foreign, Gentile, uh, pagan philosophers... They were reading in the ancient scriptures about the coming of a special king. And they were being led by God. And that when the king would be born, God would reveal it to them in the sky through a special star. Why? Because scripture tells us in in Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day pours out speech. Night after night reveals knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. I want you to understand that when God created the world and put the stars into place, he orchestrated and arranged what they would be from the beginning of time. How they would be arranged in the night sky. And even what they would point to as signs of what he would do on the earth. As Sam says that they they are reflecting the reality of what God is doing. But our, our knowledge of the stars lead us to God. And after studying for years, these men from a, from a pagan country serving other gods. But when they saw this star, they knew they had to travel. They knew they had to get on the road. They knew they had to see him. They knew they would have to worship him. They would have to personally give him gifts. They would have to personally bow down to him. Response of the Magi to the news about Jesus' birth was a response of God-given faith. A star or, or a celestial display that shows up only once every few thousand years It's reason enough to worship God, isn't it? But that's just a sign. It wasn't the point. Jesus was the point. He is the one to be worshipped. He is the true star. And so they had to go at great risk to themselves and to their future to see the king of kings to worship him. Their lives wouldn't be complete without that. And neither will ours. By faith, we worship him who loved us so much that he came to us as one of us so he could save us, not just from Roman rule, not just from the challenges of life, but that he could save us from an eternity without him.
So when they got to Jerusalem, they didn't, they didn't just come to see a man, ask him his rank and ask him his plans for the world and whether or not he would do a, a miracle for them or whether or not he was truly who they thought he was. They, they should have been disturbed by the poor, lowly accommodation they found him in, but it, it didn't matter to them that Jesus was just a child. Didn't matter that he wasn't in Jerusalem. Didn't matter that he wasn't in the royal palace. They had one goal and that was worship. So wherever they found him, they were going to worship him. Shocking that these, these scholarly, rich, but pagan, philosophical, astrological types from Babylon are seeking to worship Jesus. Uh, if you were here last week, you may have heard Will Bushman preach about the fact that shepherds were directed to Jesus by angels, a host of angels that lit up the night sky. And they were watching over their flocks of sheep that night. And the shepherds were societal outcasts. They were on the lowest rung of the ladder, the lowest rank in society. They had really no status. And Herod wasn't worried that they went to see Jesus. But the first two groups of people that were directed by God to go see Jesus were on polar opposites of the spectrum in several categories. And the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ was born and that he was here for the redemption of those who would place their trust in him, the gospel is being proclaimed and received by people all along this spectrum. It's the rich magi and the poor shepherds. It's, it's the uneducated shepherds and the highly educated and, and esteemed magi. They're called wise men, aren't they? The outcast that nobody would normally want to listen to, as well as the celebrity that, that moves the crowd and causes an entire city to be disturbed by their presence. J.D. Greer says this, the gospel is the most inclusive worldview ever put forth because it brings together races, the rich and the poor, the educated and the ignorant, righteous and the unrighteous, because it says that all mankind has one common problem and there's one solution, Jesus. Jesus Christ brings together these different types of people and they're accepted not because of who they are or what they can do, but because of who he is and what he will do. So it really doesn't matter what your pedigree or what your background is or what society thinks of you. You're welcome to come and worship Jesus. Aren't you glad today? So Herod had this, this response of fear and the, the wise men had this response of faith. And last week, Will also mentioned that uh, the idea that Christmas, it, it can become road. It can become routine, right? Uh, it can, we can become so familiar with the, the Christmas story that we're almost unaffected by the fact that this event literally changed the world. It's a response of familiarity. But how could we become so familiar that we can't respond to Jesus in faith, even when he is present among us? 
How when our calendar, uh, or I should say history itself, is, is divided into the period before Christ came and after Christ came. Uh, there were 400 years of silence at the closing of the Old Testament in the inspired written word of God prior to the incarnation. And then after the incarnation, when Jesus came, we have the gospel proclaimed to the entire world, changing hearts, changing minds, changing societies, changing worldviews, changing how many of us will spend our lives and eternities. So we know there's not, there, there's not anything necessarily inherently negative about being familiar with someone or somebody, but there is a risk that we take when we take things for granted, either things or people. We become so familiar with them that they no longer are special. They no longer are precious. And we miss their true meaning. We may even miss forever the opportunity to have a life-altering experience. And so when Herod wanted to know what Jesus or where Jesus was going to be born, he turned to these chief priests and these scribes who were around him. And, he, and, and, and they were the religious leaders of Israel. They were the ones who had stewardship of God's word. Uh, the priests, they acted as interceders between God and the people. They were the ones who, along with Israel, were waiting for the Messiah to come. And they had at their disposal, at their fingertips, the scriptures of the Old Testament, where God had spoken through so many prophets to give hope to the people that he was coming. They, they had access to, to all of this, and they had better understanding than the Magi. So when they saw the, the Magi, maybe certain texts like this would come to mind. In Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17, when very early in Israel's history, through a man named Balaam, God said this. Uh, he said, I see him, but not now. I beheld him, I behold him, but not near. Listen, a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Or this text from Isaiah, all those from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Or this from the psalmist, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. They had these texts at their fingertips and also in their memories. So you would think that their reaction to seeing the Magi would be excitement. It would be hope that they'd be relieved, maybe not right in front of Herod, but somebody, somebody would be inspired to take just a six-mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see if this thing was true. Could it be that Messiah had really come? There should be excitement in Jerusalem by God's people. But instead, they're troubled. Maybe not for the exact same reasons that Herod is troubled, but they're troubled that their expectation of the Messiah may not be like what they thought. A baby in poor Bethlehem? How would that rescue them from their present circumstances? They're too familiar with the prophecies. They've heard them all before. They've been disappointed before. They've become callous 
comfortable, even complicit in the illegitimate leadership of Herod over them. And they couldn't be bothered to go and see for themselves that Messiah had truly come. They didn't prepare their, their minds, their hearts. They didn't arrange their lives to go and worship a child that had been born as their king, their savior, who was indeed their God. It's literally scary to think that they could have been waiting for hundreds of years for the answer to their prayers, but they weren't ready when Jesus came. And it reminds me that we too, we've been given hope by God himself through his word about his second coming. The second advent and Jesus' second coming. He's physically coming back to earth to reunite with his church. We're called the bride of Christ. And when he comes, he's going to bring righteousness. And he's going to bring justice. And he's going to take away all death. He's going to take away all pain. He's going to bring the new heavens and the new earth. There's going to be no more brokenness in this world. No more sin. No more disease. No more hatred. He's going to make all things new. And he's left us some promises to give us hope. Promises like this in Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Or like this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now and, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Or this in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how, how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near his presence is here and he is coming so come all you faithful joyful and triumphant oh come ye oh come ye to Bethlehem come and behold him born the king of angels oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you that you came. And thank you that you're coming. May we respond to you in faith, trusting you and believing that your life, not our lives, but your life was lived so perfectly so that ours could be redeemed by your death, by your resurrection, by your ascension. May we trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. And we want to just take a few minutes to reflect on what God has said in his word. As we enter this new year, 2020, we want to ask ourselves, we want to look back on our own lives 
we want to ask ourselves, what is our response to Jesus? If Jesus came today as a baby, how would we respond? But I want you to know he's coming back. So may we reflect on some things. And I, I want to just invite you right now. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you want to bow your head. And as we reflect on what God has said, I just want to pose some questions and lead us in prayer. And you have those connect cards if you're new to this church or if you're new to Christianity or if you've been around a long time and you have some prayer requests or you have some questions that you would like to put on there. If you have a testimony that you're coming to Jesus and you're really going to trust him, you can put it on that card. But I want to ask, as we reflect on the fact that Jesus came, are we responding in a way that we are fearful because we just don't know what it's going to be like if we truly open our hands and allow Jesus Christ to lead and direct our lives? Are we living in fear that if we don't have control of every aspect that we won't be happy, that we won't be satisfied, we won't be fulfilled? Would you pray right now and ask if that's you that God would grant you courage to believe him and to trust him that he understands and that he came for you and there's nothing to fear because he has come to redeem your life and if you've placed your your faith in Jesus and you're on this faith walk you're on this journey there have come a time of discouragement. There's come a time where you're contemplating whether it's worth it. Would you ask the Lord to even strengthen your faith? Really doesn't take a lot of faith from you in order to trust God because that faith you have has been given by God. So would you ask him now to strengthen that faith? allow you to rest in him and his work for you. And finally, if you've maybe been around the church a long time and you've, you know all the scriptures, you've heard the Christmas story so many times, it's been preached so many times to you, you're very familiar with what you've heard but you've become very cold, become very callous. It's become very routine for you. Would you ask God right now to revive your heart, to awaken you to the beauty that is him so that you may see him as beautiful, so that you may see him as precious because he's the one that you're going to spend eternity with. And one more thing for all of us, as we reflect on the fact that there are responses to Jesus, would you right now think about somebody 
in your circle of influence, in your sphere of influence, who needs to hear the gospel, would you pray right now for them? For the opportunity to share it with them at some point and that they would respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.